Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show Harrison Martinez. Now, Harrison and I have connected, uh, I connected with him about a year ago because we share a lot of similar backgrounds in the nonprofit world and a lot of our shared values and just really connected with him as um, an early person that attracted me to wanting to do more in the Bitcoin space and contribute more with my voice and with any way that I can help and assist uh, this growing community. Now, this episode, honestly, I knew I would enjoy chatting with him um, and really excited to bring this uh, episode to you all as well. We talk a lot about El Salvador. We talk about some some mining stuff and nonprofit work um, and really his story. And his story is really unique and interesting. And I wanted to make sure to try to amplify this. So his family and his in-laws as well both come from El Salvador. Now, he was born in the States, but his family is from El Salvador, and he's been going back regularly to El Salvador. So we get into all the history of El Salvador, Nayo Bukele, Bitcoin adoption, all of this stuff in regards to El Salvador, because I think there's uh, too much of a media narrative about El Salvador that makes it seem very black and white um, in U.S. media in particular that has nothing to do with locals on the ground. So I wanted to be sure to try to amplify this message and have a conversation ar around this as well. So some, some folks might listen to this and uh, possibly disagree with the conversation or, or think that we should have gone into more detail about other things. But really, I just wanted to get uh, his views and his experience in talking about uh, amplifying messages from people on the ground in El Salvador. And the fact of the matter is a lot of people's lives are getting better in El Salvador. And I wanted to highlight that because the people of El Salvador are incredible in any way that we can highlight that and highlight businesses and nonprofits that are doing incredible work in El Salvador uh, around Bitcoin and so many other uh, things. We want to amplify those messages. So again, hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, either way, you can send me an email at hello at progressivebitcoiner.com. Hope to hear from you all um, if you have any thoughts on this episode. And be sure to support the work and the links that I've uh, um, put in the bottom of the show notes as well to support the work of Bitcoiners in El Salvador and the people of El Salvador. All right, I'll let you get to the episode uh, and we'll see you again next week. Hey, Gerson, how's it going, man? Hey, man, it's going well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm super excited to have you on the, on the podcast. Um, awesome. And I want to give people a backstory too. Um, what I really, there were a few people in the space and you're one of them that I think I was able to connect with on like similar backgrounds, similar shared interests and showed me, oh, like, I kind of want to do more in this space. And you are one of those guys. Um, so oh. I'm super appreciative of, you know, just the time and energy you you gave to me to, to talking with me. And for folks that didn't know, I've kind of mentioned it here before and in other places, you know, with my nonprofit background, I was trying to figure out ways to tie Bitcoin into that. And I'm still passionate about that but then found more of a voice kind of focusing on these efforts that we're doing here with the progressive Bitcoin and things like that. But before I jump in too much, do you want to give people who um, might not know who you are a little bit of background, a little bit of context? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name's Gerson Martinez. Um, I'm the son of two Salvadoran immigrants uh, to the United States. So my parents were born in El Salvador um, and they moved to the States about 40 years ago during the, the Civil War period in El Salvador. So I was born in the U.S. Um, I was born in Maryland. Um, and I spent actually uh, some of my formative years, even though I was born over there, I spent some of my formative years uh, here in El Salvador. Um, precisely because of some of the, you know, really high barriers to um, 
success for for immigrants in America, uh, my parents had to send me back to their country of origin so that they could keep their jobs in America and their and therefore you know get their green cards, get their eventually their citizenships. Um, so I spent um, uh, my first three and a half years here in El Salvador. So even though I was born over there and then um, and then, of course, uh, went back to the States, grew up, you know, the rest of my childhood um, uh, over there. Uh, so I went to you know public school in Maryland. I went to the University of Maryland to study math and economics. Um, and then I embarked on a career, um, and kind of the, 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 the area of interest for me at the time, uh, was capital markets. I mean, I guess I should say it always has been, I've always been intrigued by capital markets. I went into a career directly, um, uh, in, uh, into an investment bank, a bulge bracket firm, uh, in New York. Um, I had this great fortune, you know, great, you know, uh, uh um, blessing you know to to end up in this in this uh industry that really isn't um accessible to a lot of folks you know kids of immigrants um and stuff like that so at that point in my life I, you know if you were to ask my parents they felt like i had already kind of won the lottery right uh, in in terms of getting an education in america my dad what he used to tell me is like if you can work in an air conditioned building with a keyboard in front of you you've already won. You know, that yeah. was basically the viewpoint, you yeah. know, for, for him. He's like, don't, I hope you don't have to work as hard as I do with my hands mm. outside, you know, that kind of thing. So um, my career, you know, my, my training and my, my education, and then my first career was in capital markets. Um, but I very quickly, uh, I think, fell out of love with that industry on a personal level in terms of what it demanded of you, you know, just complete devotion um there was there, there was this uh, almost this adage this saying in the industry it's like when your personal life starts to fall apart that's when you know you're doing a good job at work yeah and i'm yeah. like and people you know people would joke about that but but be be serious right uh, at the same mm -hmm. time and i'm like i don't want that i i, mm -hmm. I don't care how you know i don't care what the paychecks look like or what the you know whatever the, the image of it all looks like that's not the life that I want. Um, so mm. it took me some years to figure that out and figure out what I would do with my life post, you know, uh, uh, that, that industry. So, uh, after about five and a half years, I, I did leave. I had to worked up the guts to leave and then say, what up, you know, what, what do I do now? Um, and to make a long story short, uh, this is where kind of nonprofit work entered my life. I had until, to this point, I had never once considered, um, you know, work that is for the greater good, you know, or, or, or social mm. good. Um, but my wife is an educator and I followed her into uh, originally the, the education space. I joined a charter school. Um, uh, I, I joined the, the founding team of a charter school in New York. Um, I was their finance and analytics guy because that's what I could do. I can't teach <laughs> and I'm not, uh, I'm not great, um, you know, around children. But, um, but anyway, I joined a, the, a founding team of a charter school. And I got, for the first time in my life, I got um, a, a particular experience, which was to um, insert myself to become part of a community in America, right? And, and this was in the South Bronx. Um, that was structurally like uh, disadvantages doesn't do, you know, is, 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 that word mm -hmm. doesn't do it justice, right? These people were, you know, structurally captive, you know, in their zip code. There was very, very mm -hmm. little way for them to make it out of their zip code. Um, education, of course, is one of those ways in which to do it. So this was for the, the first time, it was like kind of like the, 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 the curtains were opening for me to understand just how lucky I had been 
to have been born in the, you know, zip code that I was born in, in rural Maryland, mm. instead of, you know, uh, in particular, in, in, you know, in the South Bronx, where these kids were faced with a lot of dangers, uh, et cetera. So anyway, we spent three years kind of helping to build up uh, this charter school, uh, which is still in existence today, by the way. The, the school is now in its like 11th or 12th year. Um, it serves mm. over a thousand families in New York. Um, so we are very, awesome. very fortunate to be a part of this founding team of this highly effective you know, uh, public school. Um, in 2016, we decided to move from New York uh, back to Maryland, where I'm from. We had had our first daughter. It was, you know, purely family, personal reasons that we decided to leave New York. I continued my journey in, in nonprofit work because I fundamentally did believe that this was the way that I could use my advantages, my you know all all of the stuff that I had been that I had been given through, by through no credit of my own. Um, to give back, to build up, you know, to leave the world in a little bit of better place than I had, uh, than I had found it. Um, so I joined a nonprofit in my hometown uh, as its executive director, a mentoring organization. Um, and this, you know, this organization provided um, after school, you know, kind of enrichment uh, uh, activities as well as mentorship for kids. So again, this is all kind of in the realm of um, seeing nonprofit work as the best thing that I could do professionally, you know, uh, with myself, you know, to, to have purpose in my life. Um, I happen to come from a family, you know, a, a Christian, um, you know, family full of ministers. I did not ever feel a calling in that direction, you know, to, to, to be, to enter, mm -hmm. you know, ministry. So I thought this is the other way that I might be able to make a, a positive impact in the world. Um, so that's what kind of led me to the nonprofit space um, uh, originally, you know, leaving capital markets, going into education, and then finally um, uh, leading a nonprofit in, in my hometown. Um, and then al along that path, I, of course, matured a lot. I learned a lot. I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned um, and I, I got my education. I began my education in Bitcoin, you know, through through this time. And, and I have to say Bitcoin really reframed, started to help me reframe what um, uh, what the solutions are to the root issues right that that i was mm -hmm. out there trying to trying to fix or trying to solve not fix but you know trying to be a part of the solution too yeah. um so and and you know we can we can jump into that at, at whatever point you want but um but yeah that's a little bit of the trajectory for me yeah, that, that's awesome. And that's, I mean, the, the break, you, you probably told me this story almost a year ago now when we first connected. Um, and one of the, one of the reasons I'm really interested to talk to you as well. And I think for our audience, which I've mentioned before is, you know, right now our audience are progressive Bitcoiners, right? Mm -hmm. I think inevitably what will happen is for better or for worse, bear market comes, people get more curious, right? It, uh, about Bitcoin, maybe seeing progressive and Bitcoiner together, kind of scratching their heads, trying to figure out what that what that can mean and could imply. And, you know, one of the things you just described a lot of different factors that I want to talk to you about, right? You know, you and I have had some interesting conversations about what Bitcoin can do for the nonprofit space that just has not been tapped into yet, which, which I want to discuss. But also what your, your background kind of having your feet in two different worlds in a unique way, right? There's a lot of, you know, Bitcoiners that are really interested in El Salvador right now. Um, and then there's Bitcoiners like yourself who are interested in El Salvador because that's where your family's from. And mm -hmm. also it happens to be Bitcoin country now, which is great. Exactly. But you have yeah. a unique perspective when so many people are seeing so many different headlines about El Salvador that yeah. I have personally messaged you about being like, what do you make of all this? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to talk to you about that as well, because it's super, 
it's super complicated. Um, yeah. And there, be, there could be things just for folks listening uh, that they hear from your perspective that they might disagree with or something like that, right? But what, what I'm asking is like talking with you, like your family, this is your home, right? This is your yeah. family's home. Um, and this yeah. is the perspective you're approaching it. Not some high level um, moral high ground. Let's put exactly. it that way with some of the yeah. things that might be talked about. And I think people need to understand that. So it doesn't mean if I say something about it or you do that, that's the end all be all. Right. But it means that I want to have complex conversations about this place that is complicated and, and complex. Um, and, and that's what Bitcoin is about too. You know, we talk about things that are complex and sometimes people like to simplify it. So I'm really excited to talk with you about all of that. Um, yeah, man. And this is our first recording for folks listening with someone you're at Bitcoin beach right now. Uh, you're I doing am. a recording there and, for folks listening, you know, I want to have more conversations with Salvadorians and we've been having a lot of conversations with some awesome African Bitcoiners. So we're, we're making our way uh, through yeah. and um, hopefully at some point, I'd love to just get down there and do some Absolutely. some live in-person conversations, which we'll Definitely. have to do. Um, but first of all, can you can you talk to people about, um, maybe we just start there, uh, being at Bitcoin Beach, um, mm -hmm. you and your family, you regularly go down there. You guys are on vacation right now. You know, hope the family's doing good and having fun. Um, are, but can yeah. you talk to people about Bitcoin Beach for those that yep. like, you know, maybe they've seen stuff here and there about it, but what's it what's it like down there? And um, what are some of the things that, that you've been doing while you're there? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, so Bitcoin Beach, first of all, is um, it's that that's what we Bitcoiners call it colloquially. Um, the name of the town is El Sonte. Um, it's a beach town. This part of the uh, this part of El Salvador along the coast is is um, littered with, or not not to say littered, but uh, there's there's a ton of tiny little villages. Uh, 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 you know, seaside villages uh, that focus on fishing and surfing effectively, you know, and, and, and tourism. And there's one after the other after the other. El Sonte happens to be the town where um, Bitcoin became um, uh, an experiment that was that was tried by, um, you know, at this point, I think a lot of folks know uh, Mike Peterson, uh, Roman Martinez, Jorge Valenzuela. These are folks. Um, um, Jorge and and Roman are local young leaders in their community who do, by the way, nonprofit work. They've been doing nonprofit um, youth development work for fifteen years here. You know, because fifteen years ago, El Salvador had very little opportunity yeah. for kids in this community. So, what what I think is important for your audience to take away is mm -hmm. that that El Sonte before it was called Bitcoin Beach, was a community that had its perspective and its eyes to, you know, on the future and were effectuating and were executing on that vision through youth development work. In, in the U.S., we have 501c3s. Yeah. We, would call that, we would call that nonprofit work. But here it was just Roman and Jorge every other day taking the kids out to the beach, playing games with them, organizing, you know, litter removal, um, teaching surfing lessons. This was all happening before mm -hmm. Bitcoin, right? So it's not that like suddenly, oh, yeah. suddenly everybody wants to, no, no, these folks have cared about their, the well-being of their young people in their community through nonprofit work um, and, and have done so through nonprofit work um, for a long time. Now, along came uh, Mike Peterson, uh, who is a surfer, by the way. He came, he visited at something like over 20 years ago, and he made this his mm -hmm. home. But he was the conduit through which Bitcoin um, uh, arrived here. And uh, over the course of a handful of years, 
um, Bitcoin was effectively injected into the community and it was it was mm-hmm. uh, uh, made into a it, the, the effort was to create a, a circular economy here for vendors and people to be able to transact with each other in this um, you know digital currency so they've been and they continue to be on mm-hmm. this journey of education like f door to door neighborhood to neighborhood education really grassroots education on Bitcoin which to me is commendable because I don't see that anywhere in the states right we have a bunch of people with um, uh, opinions and Twitter accounts, but no, very few people doing the ground level work that these folks are doing. And I have tremendous respect, you know, for the folks uh, that are here. Now, if you visit, when you visit, and I recommend that everybody does, um, this is a beautiful, absolutely beautiful uh, landscape absolutely beautiful uh, 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 town full of surfers. It's a complete mm-hmm. like surfer town, right? Um, no one wears shoes. It's very, very casual. There's um, there's a, a, a diversity, an incredible diversity of people, right? Uh, local folks, as well as, uh, uh, you know, foreigners, of course, who come uh, visit uh, to surf. Um, I would say at this point in the Bitcoin cycle, you're going to see way less like let's call it bitcoin tourists who come to do the mm-hmm. the the um uh the, the pilgrimage you know to bitcoin beach and way more just pure surfers who are here to you know spend a week uh, uninterrupted you know waves and then maybe go go back home but it's it's a place mm-hmm. that my family and i you know now consider a second home like we, it's a very small community very very small community everybody knows each other's names mm-hmm. Um, and and that's one of the beauties of it, right? Coming from this gigantic country with, you know, three hundred million people or whatnot, it's really nice to be a part yeah. of a really small community. And and I want people to know that too. Like even just following you, doing my own research for when I'm like, oh, when I want my wife and I to go down there. Like not only like you know, I said Bitcoin Beach because people know of it like that. But I'm glad you're pointing out in in all of these small communities where Bitcoin's starting mm-hmm. to thrive, whether it's mm-hmm. El Salvador, Botswana, Togo, like wh- whatever mm-hmm. locations we're talking about, where communities are transforming. People were doing this work beforehand. It's just the Bitcoin is now a a better tool to do some of that stuff that was already being done. So that's That's really exciting and really awesome. And I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But also people follow, if people were to follow you on on Twitter, which I recommend they do, you're just posting the most beautiful pictures of (laughs) this beach of El Salvador. Like I show my wife all the time. I'm like, gosh, like, Garrison's down at like the beach again and like he's got yeah. his coffee and like it just looks so beautiful. Like I talk about it all the time. Uh, and, and just sitting I, actually, in our apartment, can, which is so funny. Can I, can I uh, share something about that? And I think that a lot of folks who are here physically like full time now, because a lot of people have moved here uh, full time from Canada, from the US, wherever, right? I think part of the motivation mm-hmm. uh, of doing so is this. Um, uh, well, it's, it's twofold. On the one hand, it's if you're an American or a Western, you know, a, a Western person and you've become accustomed to this life that is measured in, in like units of busyness, like how busy, you, you know, first mm-hmm. thing somebody asks you in America, hey, how's it going? Uh, you know, busy as always. It's like a badge of honor, you know, to, to, sure. to describe yeah. how busy and stressed out and important you are. Mm-hmm. You come to a yeah. place like this and nothing matters but the ocean, the people around yeah. you. And like the food in front of you, right? And that yeah. is such it's it's such a 
a, a cleansing experience, I think, for in particular, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, the folks that come from these busy, you know, cities or, or, or places in other parts of the world uh, to come here and just yeah. like literally ground yourself, right? No shoes and just touch the sand and touch uh, the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is one of the most kind of magical and compelling, you know, aspects of, of El Sonte. And it's what makes me a person who's lived most of my entire life in, in, in uh, the U.S., want to be here, not on vacation only, but to want to start to live more mm-hmm. of my life here. And, and what is it like? Do you notice any, any, any shifts, um, in terms of your, your kids, like hanging out there versus hanging out in, in Maryland or whatever? What are your, what are your kids and, and family think about it as well? Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Actually, my kids are a huge part of the reason why I want to be connected to this country and to this, to this, you know, community in particular, but let's say Mm. to the country in general, Uh, because let me tell you something. Um, When I was growing up in America, in rural Maryland, you know, in in the 1980s and 1990s, um, my experience with being uh, the son of an immigrant, right? Uh, The son of immigrants um, Mm. who could barely speak English, um, and could barely get, you know, get by in America in the, in the early years, um, was really mm-hmm. difficult. And it was difficult in the kind of like psychological and emotional sense. Right. I was bullied a lot, um, for being different. Right. Cause nobody, you know, everybody considered me Mexican, first of all, because, um, no one knew what El Salvador was. And, uh, I had all this, yeah. these, these kind of negative experiences. Um, and what it did to me in my early years was actually make me resent my, my cultural kind of identity, right? Uh, and and, and yeah. my heritage. Mm-hmm. It, it made me want to distance myself from it. And I do not want my daughters to have that experience at all. I want them to be proud of their mm-hmm. roots. I want them to understand where their grandparents came from, right? Um, and the reasons, yeah. the real reasons why they had to leave. Right. Not the surface level stuff, but like the deeply rooted, you know, geopolitical stuff that uh, caused people like my parents to have to leave. So I want my my kids to not only just be comfortable here, comfortable with the language, comfortable with the culture, but to be proud of it, to represent it, you know, um, as they, you know, grow Mm -hmm. up and and become part of communities in different parts of the world. That's awesome. And it's kind of a good segue, too, because I know um, you've just been... uh, kind of putting out really just beautiful messages too. And I also want to amplify, you know, what you've talked about for your, your parents. And so, I mean, we could spend a whole series, a whole, you know, whatever this whole year, every day talking about the history of El Salvador and trying to unpack this, but, you know, very simply put El Salvador was a very dangerous place and it's improving in terms of that. And you've talked about like, while your parents getting to to see this or your, uh, you know, both sets of, of parents in your yeah. family. And so many others have talked about that as well. They're different generations and have seen so many beautiful videos of people coming back to El Salvador for the first time in 20 years and just mm-hmm. being amazed and surprised. And again, mm-hmm. we can also unpack or talk about how that was, how this, ha- what, what made this happen and all these other things. But w- what has that been like for your family? Um, yep. to witness this transformation, whatever their thoughts been, has there been specific thoughts around Bitcoin or is it mainly just like, wow, this is amazing that this place has improved. Uh, what have those conversations been like? And what has that been like for, for your parents? 
so as I mentioned, my parents uh, left, uh, all, all, and, and my in-laws as well, my, my father-in-laws from El Salvador, um, they all left when they were mm. teenagers in the middle of a civil war. So this was not out of like yeah. ambition or, you know, this was out of survival, right? Mm -hmm. to le you're leaving yeah. a, a dangerous country because as a young man in El Salvador in the 1980s, you had two choices as you walked out the door. You either eventually join the guerrilla, you know, forces that were fighting against mm -hmm. the government forces or you join the government forces there's really yeah. no neutrality very very little opportunity for neutrality anyway uh our parents left during that season of el salvador um and when they left they left with absolutely no desire to look back because their country was broken right and mm -hmm. and as much as they might they miss their family and of course there's a connection and a pride deep within what happens you get to america and you get you get thrown into the melting pot and you get told you're American now, mm -hmm. speak English, remove that from yourself, right? Like you're now here, mm -hmm. especially once you get the passport, you literally can't, like you have to like effectively res you know, resign to your other citizenship once you become American. So yeah. you get sucked into the melting pot of America. And for my entire upbringing, my parents never, well, I shouldn't say never. We, we came here on occasion but it was specifically to see our family members. We would go from from and we would drive. We would drive four days from Maryland to to here. Oh wow! Um, yeah. And uh, we would drive and go directly to our family's homes, shut the door, and not leave because the country was very mm -hmm. dangerous. So my concept yeah. and my parents' concept of their country for thirty years was that it's dangerous and it's a place to escape from, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that's what it was um, during the Civil War, during the time of, you know, a lot of gang proliferation here, which I think I, I would appreciate getting into that history because I think your audience would, yeah. would appreciate it. Um, but um, mm -hmm. during those periods, El Salvador was not a place to come to. It was a place to escape from. And that like sits deep yeah. inside of you. That starts to get internalized, right? You start to, like I said, mm -hmm. I started to reject, you know, my cultural heritage. And what has happened mm. – Yeah in a very, very short amount of time is um, on the ground here, like in, 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 in real like specific terms, the country has become, um, it has gone from being controlled by, poor, you know, let me be clear. These are not, you know, drug kingpin organizations. These are poor people extorting and killing other poor people out of poverty, out of the mm -hmm. need to eat, you know? So it's gone yeah. from a country that is wildly dangerous um, to one that is utterly safe. And um, I don't mean to say, and obviously not in America either, there is, there are still, you know, uh, 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 of course, events of, of violence. There is still, you know, homicides and things like this, but the, the frequency with mm -hmm. which those happen is unbelievably low now there's been a paradigm shift in yeah. el salvador in the last three years and it's begun with um the security issue the, the the safety issue for salvadorans first the every average everyday salvadoran for example the, the salvadoran business owner no longer has to pay an extortion tax to his local gang member which for 30 years he did um, and then, of course, the, the, the second order effect yeah. of that is that um, folks who are not from El Salvador now come here and come back because they know it's safe. Mm -hmm. And that starts a flywheel effect right. of, you know, investment, of tourism, mm -hmm. of consumption in the country, of production in the country. Um, so that shift, I would say, has happened only in the last three years. Um, because mm -hmm. there was a, a there was a even, you know, politically, there was a 
big um, kind of tectonic shift in El Salvador. Um, can I describe that really quickly, just just for for your yeah, your absolutely. To say? I mean, I think okay. we should take the majority of this episode to to unpack some of this because I don't yeah I don't think it happens enough. Um, so mm-hmm. please, yeah. So um, political history of El Salvador is really interesting. Um, during that period of civil war um, in El Salvador, there was basically the reason for the civil war had a lot to do with um, uh, a bifurcated, you know, economy. You had the elites, you know, a handful of families um, in in El Salvador that controlled basically every industry and a government that protected that oligopoly. Um, mm-hmm. Then, of course, there was an uprising, as there always. If you've ever read a book about history, these things happen cyclically, right? You you have mm-hmm. uh, uh, the uprising of the poor folks who come to want to topple, you know, the the power structure. So this was the origin of the the the, the Salvadoran civil war. It raged for, for uh, twelve years, twelve thirteen years. Finally, there was a truce called, and at the moment of calling the truce. What ended up happening was that the folks who were fighting, the, the guerrilla forces who were fighting against, you know, the, the government forces were basically brought to the political table. So they called a truce, an armistice, right? No more firing guns. And they said, okay, you folks, you're now at the table. You, we will form, there, there will be a, a political party formed called, called the FMLN, FMLN. Um, which now represent now represented the left leaning party in the country, and the right leaning party called Arena, which is our you know the 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 Americans version of Republican, right? There's, this is your Republican mm-hmm. and Democratic parties were thus established at the end of the Civil War, and for the last thirty years since the end of the Civil War, which is in the early nineties, what's happened? Same thing as America. The the political balance bounces back and forth, right? It goes from left, you know, left uh, uh, FMLN president to ARENA president, to FMLN to ARENA. You bounce back and forth. You have a two-party system. And what happens? The elites continually get protected and, and you know, and, um, and uh, you know, protected by either side. And then the, the, the normal people of the country, the regular, you know, Joes in the country um, continually get uh, uh, left behind. Right. So this is not unlike, mm-hmm. you know, what's happening in, in the States. It just, you know, has, has happened to a, a more extreme degree in this country. Um, yeah. In 20 in 2019, finally, there was a like I, like I said, a te- tectonic shift in the political situation in El Salvador through the, the, the creation of a, of a new party called the New Ideas Party, um, Nuevas Ideas under the leadership of, of Naiv Bukele, who's now president, uh, of, of course, of El Salvador. Um, he uh, first became mayor of San Salvador. Um, and well, I'm sorry, he, he was mayor of a smaller uh, a town first, then he became mayor of San Salvador. Um, and of course, his popularity grew because he was delivering on his promises to people. And then he rose to you know the presidency. And now the, the current political reality in El Salvador is that El Salvador has a, uh, a president from Nuevas Ideas. And they have also, um, shortly after the uh, um, presidential elections, the Asamblea Legislativa, their Congress, um, basically power shifted as well. So the old left and right were disp- uh, not, uh, were, were replaced by the New Ideas Party, who were in democratic and mm. fair elections, uh, won the majority, a supermajority in Congress, 
um, uh, in, 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 in one election cycle. So the political situation in El Salvador has really experienced a tectonic shift. And I think that's the reason why a lot of things are happening with a fast pace in El Salvador. Um, I mean, this mm-hmm. is not this is no surprise to anyone in a democracy as well, right? You have a supermajority in Congress and you have a, a president of the same party. Things are going to happen quickly, right? And mm-hmm. yep. um, this, this president has prioritized um, uh, security, right, for the country first. He's, he's, he made that a priority. And I think that's what you heard me describe a little bit ago about the safety of the country is a result of those, you know, uh, uh, campaign trail promises um, of way back in mm-hmm. 2019. So from the, the your yeah. original question was, how does my family, um, how do we view this? And from a distance, from thousands of miles away, what, what everyone sees and what our family members and, and friends here uh, 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 can, can um, attest to is that the country is safe. Right. The country is is no longer a place to be afraid to walk onto the wrong Mm -hmm. street because you might not make it out back out of that street. Right. This is fundamentally true now. And now the country can build on top of that foundation of safety. You cannot build Mm -hmm. a, a strong economy. You can't have. Uh, 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 you know, financial uh, uh, sovereignty and, and, and build, you know, uh, build up your individuals, you know, your families or your country on uh, a foundation of, of, you know, danger and violence uh, 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 that, that persists. So I think there's mm-hmm. really, really been a, been a paradigm shift that we're now just beginning to see the results of. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, um, Obviously, starting there first, because a lot of the conversations that might happen in El Salvador, a especially in the West and any media outlets, usually it's not from Salvadorians actually being present for these conversations or even being the ones putting out the publications for sure. And B, we don't have the same. Some communities in the U.S. might have context of what safety feels like. There's like um, New York City, for instance, a place that you and I have both lived in and and, uh, love as well. It's been so many different shifts there. And one of the, it's a very different uh, situation, but, you know, it's one thing to talk about um, different policies and things like that for New York or uh, kind of talk, discuss issues like uh, homelessness or opioid use or drugs or this and that or or gang violence from a distance without being there. But if you're there, you forget about what is the appropriate left response? What is the appropriate right response? What am I supposed to talk about this? You're just like, man, something needs to change because it's dangerous or I'm seeing this or I'm seeing that. And like, oh, uh, we really want to fix this. It's more of a, how do we fix this? Not like a political game. Uh, It's emblematic of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? In America, if you have all your basic needs met, you you can then release yourself to postulate and debate about, you know, the, what the proper political response is to a certain issue, because you yourself aren't worried about your basic needs anymore. But in El Salvador, when for 30 years, you were worried about your physical safety. And let me give you a couple examples, by the way, of, and your Mm -hmm. audience, a couple of examples of what I mean by this. Um, after the civil war ended. So first there's like a hot, you know, military, you know, guns uh, blazing sort of war when that ended. The reason mm-hmm. that gangs 
began proliferating in 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 El Salvador was actually is is a problem born in the U.S. Um, in L.A. Uh, in the 1980s, there were a lot of immigrants, right? And now a lot of Salvadoran immigrants who had escaped this country and started to band together into gangs uh, in uh, mm-hmm. in in L.A. to protect each other, right? As gangs do, that's like kind of the origins of of, of gangs often, right? Is to protect each other. Um, during the Clinton administration, when these folks started to, you know, b- become violent and 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 commit crimes in L.A., the position of the administ- of the of the Clinton administration was to say, let's take these folks and deport them back to their country. The ones, you know, who were mm-hmm. here were in the U.S. Uh, as uh, undocumented. The the solution was to send them back to uh, the, their country of origin, El Salvador. So you had a season of plane yeah. loads of of um, of now gang members, right? Criminal, mm-hmm. you know, criminals, you know, being sent to El Salvador who had never once seen a gang member, right? That's a purely American yeah. concept up until that point. But now you had thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of folks um, coming down to El Salvador and creating, you know, uh, and pr- proliferating um and, and and this is how you know the 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 kind of gang problem became um, an issue. Not only was it Los Angeles, so I'm here in the the Boston area, as you know, and mm-hmm. there's different communities around the Boston area that are highly uh, Salvadorian immigrant population. Like Chelsea, yeah. Mass is one example where it, I want to say roughly seventy percent of residents have ties to El Salvador, about eighty five percent are Latino mm-hmm. origin, and so uh, the same thing happened with with gangs there. There was a lot of deportation from from Boston, I'm sure from Baltimore as well, from New York City. Yep. So it wasn't just, a, a, I mean, LA is massive. So even that alone to El Salvador would have been a lot on any nation, yeah. but this was nationwide uh, across, not just El Salvador, many others, but we're talking about yeah. El Salvador as well. So it was happening from Boston as well, uh, was, in addition yeah. to, to LA during yeah. that time. Yeah. Sorry. I, I just, I, I, I remembered where I was going with, with this. Cause I, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do for your audience is, is, is give examples of why, um, you know, what I mean by safety, by physical safety. safety. Right? Um, yes. so, yep. so we had these gang members, we had these gang members, um, uh, flown back, flown into El Salvador now as hardened criminals. And they, for about a decade, a decade plus, um, started to take command and control of their local neighborhoods. So, for example, if you were Mm -hmm. a young man, if you were a young man, 12, 13, 14 years old, you and, and these are small. I'm talking about small communities, right? Everybody knows each other. This is not in the dead center of San Salvador necessarily, right? This is all over El Salvador mm-hmm. um, in, in tiny communities. If you're a young man, you have to you, you, you may be expected to join the local kind of you know, gang effort, the, 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 the gang community. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, as your audience might know that's not oftentimes like a hey would you like to it's more like yeah. you're Come you're join gonna join yeah and it right and if you don't yeah. there's consequences for your family right so there's that dynamic mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. a young woman let's say you're the sister of that young man you're a local gang member might say you're now my girlfriend and it's, he's not asking her out he's yeah. saying you are you are with me and if you're not if you resist mm-hmm. there's consequences for your family Right. Um, There's the third issue that the gang member knows that this family has has a has a um, a family member in the States. And he says, Mm -hmm. you're going to when you get money, I get money. Right. There's there's an element of extortion. Right. Um, 
And then maybe the father in this family has a small business and there's a, a there's an absolutely a tax that's applied every mm-hmm. every you know first monday of the month you know you pay the gang member for protection but it's not really protection of course it's extortion right so these mm-hmm. are the mm-hmm. ways in which i think so many families were persecuted and 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 extorted and 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 tormented you know by by the gang members and of course there's an infinite amount but i just kind of wanted to give give a little bit of a sense of why people might want to leave this country right when when that's your reality yeah. and you can't leave your neighborhood it's not like oh i'm going to move to another city that's not a thing here for a lot of folks mm-hmm. right there's not the resources yeah. for that. So the your your only way may be to send your children to the states or you yourself go to the states to mitigate some of these risks. So I just kind of wanted to, yeah. you know, make sure that your audience gets a little bit of a sense for like what I mean by safety, right? When that yeah. was your reality for 30 years, you're not really going to postulate and, you know, debate, you know, the politics of how you got to safety. You're you're for happy sure. that you are safe now. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, with with that context, and again for folks listening, you know, if you're if you're interested in listening to conversations where I want to be um, ha- have debate with a guest on these topics or this and that, like I'm talking um, I'm talking with you because I want to hear your experience of this, your family's experience, and and have people understand a side of things when they're seeing report whether you're a Bitcoiner or not reports in the New York Times talking about how terrible for democracy Nayib Bukele is. So these are things like I don't want to debate um, what is democratic or not in this conversation for folks right. that are listening and yeah. folks can give me feedback and stuff. I say that at the intro to every episode, give them my email and they can reach out. Um, but I want to provide some alternative sources to this um, uh, about these really deep and real things, especially for the left, right? And so from the left, from this podcast, a lot of folks on the left are seeing New York Times <laughs> post, you know, different articles against Bitcoin, against, you know, whatever. And they've done the same thing with El Salvador, whether it's because of Bitcoin or whether it's because of Bukele and others handling of these real life things on the ground. So yeah, I guess I will jump into that with you, though, in terms of some of these conversations and just these headlines that us in the West are seeing from, for lack of better terms, points of privilege, not on the ground there things like that. And I, I plan on having other conversations with other Salvadorians on this as well. Like I want to make sure people, I'm not like, okay, tell me about El Salvador and, and what is, what is your view as the speaker for El Salvador? Right? Like I yeah, want to yeah, get right. into this with a lot of different folks um, yeah. on the ground there. I'm super interested uh, based on my values. So when people are seeing headlines like this against Bukele, a bit against like, okay, Bukele is an authoritarian dictator. Bukele is this, Bukele is that. Um, what are some of your thoughts about mainstream media doing that? And you can take and unpack that as you will. Yeah, absolutely. My first thought is, like, why do you care? Like, where, where, where was the concern, mm-hmm. you know, 30 years ago, right? 40 years ago, when yeah. we get when this country yeah. got into a civil war because of U.S. involvement, you know, because of U.S. support, you know, for for one yeah. side of that war. Where was the concern then? When was the outcry? Right. Um, uh, so so to me, the. The narrative, let's because let's call it that, right? The narrative, uh, the priorities, you know, from left-leaning media outlets in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. is very clear. It's, it's. I think it's, it's. Um, and again, remember, I, I experienced some of this negativity, right? The, the reputation of El Salvador was in the toilet, right, for, for, for so long. And I think it's, it's, it's. Um, 
easiest, I think, for a left-leaning kind of media apparatus, right, to maintain that level of skepticism and, and you know, uh, doubt, you know, among an American, you know, audience about what's happening in El Salvador. From my vantage point, mm -hmm. I'm like, none of our opinions matter. The New York Times opinion doesn't matter. Yours doesn't matter. Mine doesn't matter. You know whose matter? The people of El Salvador's opinions matter. Yep. And I think, I think America, yeah. and in particular, I think a left-leaning America have this issue of like wanting to, you know, uh, we, we would say meter la cuchara, like you know, stick your fork in somebody else's food, you know, uh, uh, um, and have an opinion. <laughs> like it's like we don't know not how not yeah. to have an opinion. Just let you know a country self-govern. Which, by the way, is what's so inspiring to me about Bukele's approach um, to to, his, to to this country. Right, is to say we're going to become financially sovereign. You know, we're going to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. We're going to, you know, become Bitcoin country. What does that mean to you as an individual? It's about sovereignty, right? It's about freedom. That's what this country wants. It wants to be mm -hmm. left alone. And I think it's really hard for Western and left-leaning, you know, media outlets and, 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 and the apparatus that it supports to just let people do that, right? Because there's this kind of complex of you know savior complex right um and we all know and, and particularly now we all know what that means mm -hmm. we all know we don't want to be that but we can't help it <laughs> like americans seem to not be able to help it to be like no but we're gonna yeah. fix it <laughs> don't worry you know we we can do it you know our system of government is 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 gonna we, we know how to do it better right so listen to us right and i think yeah. when you peel back you know look under the hood of american democracy if you're really, you know, if you've been paying attention, you have to wonder, I'm sorry, like, yes, you know, America has become this global, you know, economic and political superpower by a lot by extorting and suppressing a, a lot of the folks that they want to support, you know, suppress and 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 um, and, and take advantage of. Um, so, it, it, you know, forgive me if I'm a little skeptical of the New York Times, you know, narrative on on this independent uh, in, of this country who's wanting to be independent and sovereign. You know what I mean? So it's it, overall yeah. at the end of the day, it's that's kind of my takeaway. It's like, why do you care now? Why not just let a country govern itself? Right. And 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 be free to do so. And I think that's what El Salvador is is really trying to do, in particular through Bitcoin adoption. Hi, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitbox. Now, Bitbox is a hardware wallet that's open source, incredibly secure and easy to use. And it's what I'm using to safely secure my Bitcoin in cold storage. Now, I know self-custodying Bitcoin can really be intimidating, but Bitbox is designed for ease of use without compromising on security. It's USB-C compatible and allows you to easily back up and restore your private keys with a micro SD card, which is really cool. Now you can purchase the BitBox using the promo code TPB at the link found in the show notes for 5% off your purchase. And I really want to thank BitBox for their support of the podcast. And I'm really excited about this new partnership. All right, I'll let you get back to the episode now. Yeah, and and for those for those listening, I'm 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 doing some I'm doing something new for so for the the YouTube watchers, you can see this. I'm starting to share some articles of what I'm talking about. So, um, can you see this on your end, by the way? I can. Yep. Um, so uh, these are a couple of headlines. I've got uh, New York Times on one, and then right now I'm showing the Economist, and the the headlines are there. I let me put it this way: a lot of the headlines that I see around this topic, and many others around the world, but again, focusing on El Salvador, um, are condescending. Right. It's not an outright like, OK, this person is the worst or this is wrong. It is this headline is Naya Bukele shows how to dismantle a democracy and stay popular. 
right? So that's one. And honestly, the article is not much better in terms of um, the actual contents, right? So a lot of people lead with in, in these uh, media outlets lead with like, okay, he's popular, the people like him. Uh, okay, sure, but he's dismantling democracy, right? So that's mm -hmm. that's kind of one approach. And this um, the, this other that I want to show, um, the New York Times is a bit, I, I'd say, a bit more in the condescending, condescending realm with a very violent front image. Um, so in El Salvador, the president cracks down on civil liberties and is beloved for it. So a similar sentiment um, with this and the, the, the subtext is much of the country's population is willing to tolerate an autocratic leader if it means that someone will finally solve their most pressing problem, gang violence. So again, it's kind of the admission that, okay, there's a problem and they're willing to solve it, but at what cost from a yeah. Western outlet that is not, that is not there, that is not Salvadorian, that is not, like you said, coming from people on the ground. So again, mm -hmm. very complex situation. Um, uh, some things in the article might be worth discussing, but again, the blanket statements of uh, Western media outlets being very against anything that is happening uh, any any positive implications of this? They're saying, well, it goes against our trademarked code of democracy by the United States or our right. trademark of what we say is okay for other nations when we in the United States are so responsible for dismantling any sense of safety in these places, dismantling yeah. democracies around the world. Um, right. So people, I think people from the left might understand the sense of like, we talk about Iraq war, we talk about so many other dismantling of democracies um, for for gain, for different things, for control, all of these different things. The same thing is happening here and there's different nuances, obviously, but I, I want people to understand that context as well. And if, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see what I'm showing. And um, for listeners, you can check out the video to, to see some of these graphics as well. And Trey, if I can, if I can, sorry, in, interrupt there, just uh, as you mentioned, you know, other wars and other um, uh, uh, efforts by the U.S. to to bring democracy, its brand, by the way, of democracy or bring its political, you know, yeah. system to countries that didn't want, didn't weren't asking for it, you know, weren't, weren't clamoring for help or something like that. But America decides that you need my, you need the medicine that I'm giving you. Right. And then yeah. oftentimes that results in more dead bodies, more local strife, mm -hmm. not for the New York times writer who gets to just write about it, but n like n yeah. not uh, for the local folks in those nations um, end up suffering collateral damage, you know, and then um, uh, and then oftentimes and I'm and, and, and I'm not making a statement about what form of government is right or wrong. It's about sovereignty. Right. And as Bitcoiners, mm -hmm. hopefully we appreciate yeah. that. Hopefully we understand that, like, we all deserve sovereignty personal independent sovereignty and then on a na on a national mm -hmm. level nations deserve sovereignty of course there's 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 we're a globally interconnected you know community so we need to be able to co cooperate with one another but i think this constant interjection right and constant narrative forming right in in order to to properly program american minds about el salvador is is really um uh it's 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 counterproductive, right? Um, uh, it, it's counterproductive mm -hmm. and, and it, can, it can be harmful. Um, just to take you qu quickly back to the, you know, history of, in the history of El Salvador, um, that, that civil war that was fought, um, it, it was, it began in 1979 and um, 
the reason that uh, it be- so El Salvador became a proxy, and this should sound familiar, right? It it, it became a proxy war between you know, communist countries and, you know, and and democracies, right? Um, It was perceived, Mm -hmm. you know, that uh, uh, Russia was supporting the guerrilla, you know, fighters, right? In in the country. So what does America have to do? Of course, you got to come back the other guy, right? But in, 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 Mm -hmm. and, and on the surface, and I think a lot of Bitcoiners have read these books, we understand that this stuff happens over and over in history. The net result of all of that from the American interests, you know, the superpowers, you know, perspective, they're, you know, fat and happy in their hometowns. And then at the end of the bloody civil wars, you get to, you know, divide the spoils among the superpowers. And that's also what's a lot of what's happened in El Salvador as well. So um, these mm-hmm. are just sad consequences, I think, of a lot of interventionist, um, you know, tendencies from from the U.S. government. Yeah. And, you know, uh, my point here is too, you know, whether it's U.S. politicians, politicians in El Salvador, my, my point here isn't to to praise or disregard or whatever a certain politician. Exactly. Uh, one of my One of my points in having this conversation is like, Western media on this and those that have clung to that are a bit hypocritical and without understanding a situation, just saying these things. So this isn't me saying Nayib Bukele is the greatest leader the, the world has ever seen, right? I'm, I'm not here Agreed. to make statements about that. I'm, I, w- I want to be here to talk about and report what's happening on the ground with mm-hmm. actual people because there's been so much of, wow, this is terrible for democracy, terrible for folks. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I'm getting bits and pieces here and there where I can from my... Mm-hmm. Uh, U- U.S. vantage point of certain families and certain people saying El Salvador is safer and we are able to actually visit again. We're able to see our family. We're able to run businesses. We're able to mm-hmm. feel like we own our lives again. So I'm hearing mm-hmm. those two things and I'm like, yeah, okay, we should we should talk about this and unpack because our, I mean, even, even this podcast, right? It's a global podcast, but most of our listeners are in the U.S., um, Canada, Great Britain, and Germany, I think is fourth, uh, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. But uh, in terms of obviously a lot of English speakers, a lot of a lot of Westerners. So I want to do what I can to try to amplify these messages from people that are sitting in cozy chairs in the U.S. or, or wherever <laughs> yeah. um, to get a little bit of understanding uh, when you yeah. see headlines like this. And I know obviously Bitcoiners who are listening are already skeptical of New York Times, right? But a lot of the mm-hmm. folks that might be listening to our show in particular might still be getting a lot of news from them, which is fine. I'm not saying disregard all of that, but what I am saying is they've been particularly harsh and crass against El Salvador and against some things that are benefiting people's lives. Again, mm-hmm. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like that, those first couple of layers are starting to get better for people. And I think and, a lot of I folks think- on the left too would be interested in hearing some of the things we're talking about in terms of like interventionalism, wars mm-hmm. and promoting wars and proxy mm-hmm. wars. These are mm-hmm. stuff folks from the left, many still, but historically have definitely been against. And it is the yep. same recipe here. And also, I, w- I would add to that, uh, that as, as, you know, left-leaning, you know, folks in your, in your audience, I would hope that there's a sensitivity to, you know, uh, uh, respect and, and um, uh, mutual respect, right, of course, with, with, with people, right? And, and, and hopefully uh, with people from other mm-hmm. cultures and other contexts and other countries um, and, and a... Um, uh, almost a, a, a prioritization of listening to what you're doing here, what you're what you're doing with your time, not just with me, of course, but with any Salvadoran, every Salvadoran that you speak to, and not of not just of the Bitcoiner, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, type, but uh, of of any Salvadoran. I think listening to local perspectives 
exclusively on a local topic is important because we could interview Mm -hmm. New York Times reporters or American folks who have not lived through any of this stuff, and our opinions don't matter on the subject. The the opinions that matter are these. And Mm -hmm. if – if, if folks like yourself are doing this aggressively, there's a guy named Bitcoin Shooter on Twitter who who has also done a lot to record and and, and document a, a lot of these perspectives. That's what matters. And I, yeah. like yourself, I'm not saying that, oh, all of the problems are solved and everyone has glowing reviews for El Salvador. That's not the point. Of course, it's of course, mm-hmm. there are folks who have qualms and, 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 and criticisms of the government and those should be heard. But those should be heard, yeah. not the. You know, not the yes. voice of the Canadian or the American, you know, journalist who who has a humongous megaphone, right? Um, and and can influence public perception mm-hmm. yeah. on a, on 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 a topic that they only know tangentially. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think another thing we can transition to a little bit because I know this one's been a little more particular, and I think it's getting uh, better. And again, this is just from my my vantage point. Um, I will have to say one little aside that I want to mention, because this is another background we share in terms of our um, religious upbringing and my evangelical upbringing, and I think yours as well in the States, at least. Um, My context of El Salvador uh, was actually through, and this is something I've talked here about a little openly, many people offline as well, um, growing up evangelical. And I just was talking to Anita Posh yesterday about this, actually, in terms of like a, a missionary worldview. And this is kind of goes along with American exceptionalism and um, that sort of thing. But so I had I had gone down to do missions work um, in high school in Guatemala. And that's something that, again, I was a kid understanding this, but regret a lot of that and a lot of the ways that we approached it um, going into, OK, we're here to fix a situation in one week. See you later. Um, never see you again type thing. So not necessarily to unpack that, but um one one thing that we did is I had a layover in the airport in El Salvador a couple of times. Um, and this was probably 2006, 2007. And I do remember it is interesting in terms of the way we viewed it, but just to just even that experience then at that time, which is I know remarkably different even than today, um, in terms of there were many prisoners being shuttled through of what you said, mm-hmm. gang members, like actively while we were there from the States. Um, but the police presence and drug presence was very palpable. Um, the guards there was very palpable. Everything, the the energy of it was exactly what you're describing. And so for me, not even knowing an ounce of personally what you're describing, I remember those airport encounters. Uh, and if that kind of translates to on the ground, what people were experiencing. And I saw a lot of local families as well, traveling between the states. Um, it was it was palpable there. Yep. And it's not that the, Guatemala was in a bit of a better state at the time, but it was very different. And it was yeah. known uh, that that El Salvador, there were not many people that looked like me in that airport mm-hmm. at the time yeah. in those days. Um, now, yeah. now there are. Take that, take that what you will. Um, but like you said, tourism is back. All these other things are back, which can be yeah. good. Um, so I and actually, to just, add a, that, just a quick tangent to it as well. But yeah, no, and just yeah. a quick point on that. Actually, on airports, by the way, or the 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 international airport here in in San Salvador. I noted the same thing, you know, to my wife and kids when we started to come more frequently. Um, I'm like, this place was littered with military personnel with M16s everywhere, right around every corner. You got a Mm -hmm. sense back then that you were landing in a country that was either at war 
or where your personal safety was not guaranteed. So there needed to be all this police presence everywhere, right? Or military presence everywhere. And yeah. nowadays you walk out, first of all, there's a new terminal, new international terminal at the airport. So you yeah, walk I've into this that, thing yeah. that's absolutely beautiful and feels like what you're accustomed to in the U.S. in terms of airport, airport travel, right? You walk all mm-hmm. the way outside and then there's finally one security guy with a little pistol on his hip. Um, but in terms of – so in terms of the signal that that sends you, in terms of the safety that you should expect, I think it's a it's a night and day shift. Yeah, for sure. And, and I do think one other thing that's um, – I mean all of the situation is complex that we're talking about. And for, for folks listening, and I'll be sure to try to throw out like some of the folks you mentioned, like other people to follow that are on the ground day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Um, in El Salvador to follow these people, track what's going on, different read mm-hmm. uh, different and better news sources. I'll make sure to track all of that. Like someone shouldn't listen to this episode and think, okay, I'm I'm all set no. on understanding the, exactly. the situation, right? So these are yeah. these are always starting points for people, whether I'm mm-hmm. talking to you, whether it's talking to Anita or Farida mm-hmm. or others. Um, but one thing I'll say too that some people have have highlighted in a good way is Bitcoin adoption. So one of the more controversial takes, I would say, is making Bitcoin legal tenor kind of overnight in terms of Mm -hmm. some folks knew the announcement was coming, some folks knew the decision was coming, um, but folks being required to accept Bitcoin, right? If they're small businesses, uh, being legal tender, things like that. So that's something that some people would say was a bit more controversial of a decision in Mm -hmm. terms of this. Um, But I will say what I've seen is the Bitcoin education going through the roof with so many different Mm -hmm. groups over the past years. Well, what are, what are some of your, your takeaways from this? Seeing uh, Bitcoin adoption, um, seeing folks use and interact with it. What are some of your thoughts on Bitcoin adoption, some of these decisions and, and things like that? Look, I, I think in a, in a nutshell, Bitcoin adoption has it, it, it went from you know non-existent, right, um, to a, a meaningful portion. I think a, sur- a recent survey uh, came out um, about a uh, maybe it's not super recent, but about about a year ago, um, a, a survey uh, of, of Salvadorans came out um, noting that about twenty four percent of the population um, uh, acknowledges that Bitcoin has improved their lives in some capacity. Now, the the article that that came from was meant to be critical of like, oh look, only twenty four percent of the country, you know thinks Bitcoin's a good thing. And I'm like, I'm sorry, 24% of this country actually feel a positive impact from a place of of 0%, you know, two years ago to now. I think the expectation oftentimes is like, well, why isn't everybody using Bitcoin? It's like, I'm sorry, not none of your friends know how to use Bitcoin in Boston. I don't mean you specifically, but you know, none of your American friends in Minneapolis know how to use Bitcoin. So, uh, uh, the fact Mm -hmm. that the adoption, you know, has, has happened in at whatever rate it has here is remarkable. And to your point, I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, some of the nonprofit and, and private groups that have, hired folks um, and and are self, you know, uh, that that are bootstrapped and educating on a weekly basis in high schools in El Salvador. I think that is absolutely game changing Mm -hmm. for the future of this country. That is planting seeds today that are going to give fruit in the future, right? There's both private, you know, uh, efforts around this, like Mi Primer Bitcoin, which is a formal literal Mm -hmm. curriculum written in Spanish and translated to other languages that's getting taught in high school, uh, high schools across the country. And then there's also government 
supported uh, programs like Google Plus, which is a, a, a mm-hmm. lightning developers like Academy. Right. So here you take, you know, computer yeah. science students and professionals and deep dive them into, you know, Bitcoin and Lightning development courses, developer courses with people like uh, Giacomo and, and Jimmy Song. You know, it's, it's amazing that these things are happening in this mm-hmm. country and they're happening nowhere else. So to your question about, you know, Bitcoin adoption, is every store around the country using Bitcoin? No, absolutely not. Right. That's, that's definitely not the case. Mm -hmm. And I think that in particular, you know, in the middle of a bear market, it's, it's, it's obviously harder for people to come around people at that base layer of Maslow's hierarchy of needs to be like, yeah, no, I'm going to put a little savings away. Mm -hmm. Like, no, these folks are, are, are are working for, for today. Right. Um, However, I will tell you, as a as a family who sends remittances to to El Salvador, my family is fully like you know the the the, the let's call it we're vertically integrated now in terms of the way that we send money to El Salvador. Nobody uses money transmitting services in my family mm-hmm. anymore. Nobody wastes time going to a bank branch. Like we all can, we we've all everyone has learned how to transact. Yeah. You know without much costs and, and, and pretty instantly um, over the Bitcoin network. So um, while that is not indicative of an entire nation, I think it's, it's, it's indicative of a direction, right, that the country is, is, is heading in. Yeah. And if you compare that to any poll work that's done in the U.S., like you said, like 24 percent or something like that. And there's a there's a lot of other studies with different words. But the way that one's worded and at 24 percent with just a few years, a few years beginning adoption. Right. Given the Mm -hmm. fact that Bitcoin itself is also only 14 years old on top of Mm -hmm. that, that is incredible. I mean, incredible um, progress and and understanding. And what what gives me hope you mentioned me premier Bitcoin and, and shout out to them. Um, and Max DeMarco made like a great um, accessible video for them mm-hmm. that that really well done, really professional, high quality, like 20 minute videos. And Max has been putting out incredible videos, just highlighting these things, I think for anyone, but also just for someone from the West to spark their curiosity and be like, oh, what's going on? What's going on here? Like, does a good mix of like interviewing some people that are like, oh, yeah, we're accepting Bitcoin. And like, I don't know if I really know how to use it. And then showing like education. So it's not just, it, it, it's a very positive film, but it also feels real and tangible. Like he's talking right. with people on the ground and highlighting me premier Bitcoin. And that's one of the things when I first uh, reached out to you about a year ago, just talking about like, especially these Salvadorian students in Chelsea that I had been working at uh, with my, my previous job, thinking about how Bitcoin education could transform their remittances transform their understanding of money, their understanding of their history and background, because a lot of students and even friends of mine from El Salvador, but also other places had the same experience as you where, and just hearing you say that, I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like my, my, my friend who mentions like, it took me a long time to be okay with Mm -hmm. my heritage or not try Mm -hmm. to just whitewash that or just kind of erase that because I'm kind of embarrassed by it or I'm kind of like not crazy about it because their own personal bullying experiences. So that hits Mm -hmm. home for, I bet, so many people listening to this right now. Absolutely. In particular. Mm -hmm. Um, But seeing that Bitcoin education, right? And seeing Mm -hmm. this curriculum is no joke. And I come from the world (laughs) and you do as well with like education curriculum, Mm -hmm. nonprofit curriculums. It's really good and tight. Like it Mm -hmm. does a great job. And these young people are the ones that, yes, they're, they're helping support their families at home. Yes, they're paying bills alongside their families, but they're also the ones that are like, let me let me take 5% and put that in Bitcoin. Let me let me yep. use Bitcoin. Some students are like, it's fun. It's fun yeah. to use. It's cool to use. Like these young people, those are those are the tomorrow of yeah. El Salvador. 
So that yeah, just left yeah, me feeling yeah. so, the term goes bullish on Bitcoin, mm-hmm. bullish on El Salvador and the global South, regardless of what people in the U.S. think about it, to be honest. Exactly. And, and I, I, um, I came across something uh, the other day with a, one of the graduates of the Google Plus program, the, the Lightning, and, uh, Lightning Development Academy that, uh, uh, that was launched. Um, and I thought it's so interesting because I think an- another thing that's happening that's going to and we're going to continue to see in, in El Salvador is uh, a bit of a network effect, right? As, as the first mm-hmm. companies come down here and hire Salvadorans to do, you know, to do whatever type of work, you know, fold is down here. Strike is down here. Um, there's going to be more and more companies. I mean, but matter Bitcoin, of course, as a nonprofit employs folks, what's, what's happening is there's starting to be a bit of a network effect. I saw on Twitter, um, a young man who graduated from, uh, Google plus shared a screenshot of what a young, I believe high schooler shared with him about just, being thankful that he was pouring into the high schooler when he himself has mm-hmm. just been poured into. Right. So there's, there's this kind of network effect that I think El Salvador is going to be, we talk a lot about, or we, we use the term first mover advantage, right? I think this is precisely where mm-hmm. the first mover advantage in terms of national adoption really um, uh, uh, will, will, will be seen, right. In particular, because this, this yeah. pouring into is happening with a lot of young people. And then they're turning around and educating young, younger folks than them. So to me, that makes me wildly bullish mm-hmm. on El Salvador, El Salvador's future. Yeah. And I, I, I love conversations like this because also uh, what I hit home and I probably say almost every episode is like Bitcoin is not the end, right? The, the reason folks are looking to Bitcoin or seeing like all the things we just discussed, we probably talked 90, 95% of the time on other things besides Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It's like Bitcoin is kind of yeah. the tool and the catalyst for a lot of this change, business expansion, yep. more mm-hmm. self-sovereignty, property ownership, safety, all of this. Like Bitcoin can kind of bring about that. It opens a door and then yep. you keep going past that. But the principles mm-hmm. of what we're talking about is like people just wanting better lives for them and their family and hope for the future in a way that I can't understand. And the only way I try to I just, I got lucky enough to try to, to get into Bitcoin a few years back to start listening to stories and be like, how can I help? And I think yeah. if you're in a position where you're not in these places, just think who can you connect with, whatever you're doing, whatever uh, work environment you're in, whatever profession, if you have some money and some sats to give, whatever position you're in, just ask yourself, how can you help? Reach out to yeah. folks in DMs. That's how I got started. That's how I messaged mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. That's how I've messaged yeah. so many people <laughs> coming on this podcast or so mm-hmm. many groups that I message and say, hey, um, how can I help? This is my background. This is what I do. The, you know, yep. what, what can we do to help? That is what and people I, in the West can do today. Exactly. I agree. And, and I think that's a great note to or kind of call to action, I think, to your, your audience and to use some of the parlance and language that I think we're probably used to. I would encourage folks to elevate voices of Salvadorans upon hearing whether it's a story, mm-hmm. whether it's a whether whether you're a business owner and you end up connecting with Salvadorans in some capacity, use your platform or your voice or your privilege to amplify the voices of Salvadorans who are, are n- now the world is curious about, right? Um, but rather than making ourselves the center yeah. of those things, we should use these platforms and these these opportunities we have to elevate the voices of the folks who are having these experiences down here, the good and the bad, right? All of it is important in order to, yeah. uh, you know, for, for the rest of the world to have uh, an accurate accounting of what's happening here, not the, you know, the 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 desired narrative of like larger you know apparatuses or whatnot 
And and I want to make sure too to get into with you a little bit about um, Bitcoin mining and your interest there, because mm -hmm. I know that's probably uh, the same, if not your second love, is Bitcoin mining. So can you talk <laughs> yeah. to people a little bit about what you've been doing um, on the mining side of things? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, so I I uh, started to um, let me begin by why I decided to mine Bitcoin. Um, so I became a I went super deep down the rabbit hole. I became a person who um, mm. really saw Bitcoin um, and 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 storing my wealth in Bitcoin, storing my you know saving in Bitcoin as a way to opt out of the. Um, uh, that this this um, system, you know, system in, in the U.S. in particular, where in particular as a nonprofit person at the time, I was never going to be able to disconnect from needing money from cantillionaires, right? In the nonprofit world, we have to ask for money from people who, you mm -hmm. know, who are wealthy because of the cantillionaire effect. Um, and I'm like, I don't want to live my life like that <laughs> ever again. So if I save in Bitcoin, I already save in Bitcoin. And we all know we don't want to we don't want to risk our Bitcoin capital right on just anything right. Um, but we have to think very carefully what we spend our Bitcoin on, what we risk it on. Um, I said the only thing, the only thing that I'm willing to risk my Bitcoin on is the production or generation of more Bitcoin, right? And mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about mining. You know, I, I don't come from a from a an engineering background. I come from a you know capital markets background. Um, so I started to dabble, right? I started to buy uh, uh, some ASICs, um, and of course, since I don't own my own you know energy source, I had to pay. I had, to, I had to, what's called you know pay a hosting fee to someone who would sell me electricity, right? And manage my machines. Um, what I realized is that this is a, a rabbit hole that I wanted to go down, right? So this is 20, 2019, um, going into 2020. Um, and I decided to start to invest more of my Bitcoin savings in, um, in a, a Bitcoin, you know, mining, mining machines. I got to a, a, um, an allocation that I was comfortable with. And um, I decided then to make this the way that I put food on the table for my family, right? So that I can, because as Bitcoiners, I think, hopefully, we value time the most, right? Time is the thing mm -hmm. you can't get back. Time is the thing you don't know how much you have, right? So I've really focused my life around optimizing for time, freedom over my time. So mm -hmm. these are the reasons kind of why I got into Bitcoin mining. Um, I established a you know a, a small uh, bitcoin mining business um in in america it's uh, uh well it's it's you know it's domiciled in america but i have assets in in a couple of different continents for diversification purposes um and it's allowed me to live a life that where i where i can spend a lot of time with my young children who need me right now right um, now, as a Salvadoran, you can imagine my elation in 2021 when this country, of all countries, uh, decided to, you know, make, make Bitcoin legal tender. And immediately in my head, I was like, wow, I have to be, I have to do whatever I can to support um, uh, the proliferation of this, you know, asset in this country. But also when it comes to mining, because the president very famously said we were going to turn on volcanoes and uh, and and generate more energy um, through these volcanoes, mm -hmm. I said, I want to do whatever I can uh, to support those efforts as well. So, you know, over the past couple of years, I've had the privilege of, of you know, serving on the uh, uh, the, uh, the na in the National Bitcoin Office, uh, being a, an, an advisor to the Digital Securities 
uh, commission here in, in El Salvador, um, working with with Max and Stacy on a lot of like the the energy related you know uh, uh, issues that are that are being uh, trying trying to be uh, developed here because energy also right is not, not just you know not 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 only Bitcoin but energy is what. Life, you know, flourishes on, right? So I've I've tried to um, use whatever uh, uh, whatever assets I can bring to the table, whatever whatever competencies I can bring to the table to help El Salvador, you know, go on a path of energy and financial independence, right? Um, and I'm on that journey, you know. So uh, I'm I'm very happy. I, I have a I have a, a amazing family, amazing two little girls who I get to spend a lot of time with, but I'm also, you know, uh, uh, eager to contribute and eager to, uh, to be a part of the, this, this intersection between, you know, Bitcoin mining and El Salvador, wherever that, that goes, I'm, I'm on the journey. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I think too, you, you, you mentioned his name and I, I meant to say this early on in our conversation when you were talking about work and the pace of life in certain, uh, certain environments, um, mm -hmm. especially Elizante and other places in mm -hmm. El Salvador now, um, Jimmy Song had put out, a, it was either a tweet or a post a couple of days before the time of recording, talking about work and talking about things a lot of people have been talking about for a while, but just saying how much focus and attention we put into how much work we're doing, how productive we're being in terms of time, like time mm -hmm. lost, if you will, in mm -hmm. American workplaces, in how busy your work weeks are, in how little time you spend with your family, but you're successful at your business or whatever the case may be. And what is cool to see is like, there are many Bitcoiners that I might disagree with politically, views wise, things like this. But something that I think a lot of Bitcoiners agree on is this time preference. And we talk about that yeah. word all the time, like low time preference and yeah. using your time wisely. So not not mattering like how many hours in a week can I work or can I do this thing that is a hamster wheel yeah. that we've grown towards. Yeah. But hearing you say that and just, you know, seeing you and being like, man, that is that is an ideal for how, to be honest with you, like I would want to be as a father or just the way that you're pouring love and attention into your kids and family, the way you do, understanding the background you had too, which I know is there for you, which is like mm -hmm. yeah. the way you were working in New York, the way you were working in capital right. markets, the way you were on Wall yeah. Street that grind is probably a huge motivation for you. Um, I don't think Absolutely. it's probably what kept you going. I think a, bit, a lot of it is just your values in general, but um, that that is just yeah. a beautiful thing to see. And and Jimmy Song highlighted that. It's like, we're obsessed with work and this time is a, a Bitcoiner. And I think hopefully a lot of people are most precious asset uh, at, at the end of this and valuing that time with family is a really important message to push along as Bitcoiners and to say yeah. it doesn't have to be this way. Um, exactly. exactly. And trying to make that a better reality for people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree. I think all, all at the end of the day, Bitcoin should give us freedom over our time, not freedom to spend on stuff, but freedom to live our lives in the moment and and fully pour into the people that are important mm -hmm. to us right because we we really don't know how long we are here on this earth right so um so we got to kind of make the most of 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 the time that we have um and do good right like uh like i said it was kind of the reason i got into nonprofit work but i'm so grateful that i found bitcoin because i think it's a way um higher and better use of my time uh, in order to make a positive difference in the world yeah yeah, and I, I got to that place as well, um, and, and I'm feeling the same way. Um, so in closing here, one, one thing I want to ask is yeah. when you're looking to El Salvador, looking to the global south, 
what are some of the things that excite you most when you look out a year, two years, five years, um, mm-hmm. thinking about the groundwork that's being laid through Bitcoin and other initiatives? What are some of the things you're most excited to see and some of the things that you think are most uh, replicable into other environments? Um, I mean, the, the the most exciting thing to me is, I guess, um, to see the national kind of um, uh, the reputation of this country continue to build globally, right? I think there are so many places around the world where we can see, and eh, not everybody has, of course, the same opinion, but there's some places that objectively everyone looks at and says, wow, those, you know, these, these societies, these, these, these communities, these countries have their stuff together. I'm really excited to see uh, El Salvador kind of elevate itself on a sovereign basis, right? On a, on a sound money, uh, on, on the basis of sound money, um, uh, uh, bring itself up out of this place of, of, um, reputational just uh, you know muck for so long uh, that on a personal level that's important to me because of my mm. own experiences as as a kid right um secondly i hope that the world understands just how incredible the people of el salvador are they always have been but no one's been paying attention for mm. so long and now that everyone's paying attention I'm excited to see Salvadorans build, right? Build technology companies, build energy companies, build um, uh, products and services that other people in the world can use, right? Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see the economy of El Salvador um, thrive at a, at a, you know, at a GDP level, but also at the local level, right? For folks that have only known survival, that have only known, uh, you know, I, I got to go work so we can eat got to go work so we can eat. I'm excited to see these folks kind of lift themselves out of out of the uh, circumstances that have been laid upon them for, for decades. Um, so generally speaking, that's what I would say. I'm excited for the people of El Salvador. Awesome. That's super exciting. And if you had to you know, have people anywhere they can, they can follow you, what are, what are some also, and I'll, I'll put some in the show notes and other conversations we have too, but um, for people to get a better understanding of a lot of the things we talked about, a lot of the groups mm-hmm. doing important work, um, and I'll make sure we, we chat offline as well if there's others you want to throw out there, but um, what are some places you would direct people to, to continue exploring okay. this? For sure. Um, so I'm on Twitter um, at, at Herson Martinez, G-E-R-S-O-N. Uh, Martinez. Uh, I'm I'm on Twitter. I, I like to share a lot of what's or try, try to kind of elevate a lot of what's happening um, in El Salvador uh, in terms of educational uh, uh, initiatives. Obviously, education is an important thing. Uh, I think globally for uh, in general. Um, so. Uh, I like to support and I, I would love for people to follow Mi Primera Bitcoin, which is their their Twitter handle is actually in English. It's at my first Bitcoin. Um, the educational program we talked about. I would also recommend you follow Google Plus um, at Google Plus SV, I believe, um, on on Twitter. Um, and also, I think uh, with respect to the the national kind of policies around uh, that that impact uh, uh, Bitcoin adoption, I would encourage you to follow the the Na- National Bitcoin Office uh, Twitter account as well. Um, I think it's at Bitcoin Office SV. Um, so that, that'll, you know, that'll keep people aware of what's happening at, a, at an official kind of federal level, uh, here in, in, in El Salvador. Um, also follow, uh, Bitcoin beach, uh, and also the building that I'm in right now, uh, Hope House at Hope House, um, is, mm. uh, is, uh, is a, this is a community, um, 
uh, a project, you know, community kind of nonprofit project. As here for the benefit of the community, I'm sitting in a co-working space in El Sonte, which is phenomenal that these resources are here. Um, so if you want to be aware of what's happening at, at Bitcoin Beach specifically, um, those are some places uh, to go as well. Yeah, awesome. And if anyone has the privilege, go visit. You know, even yeah. if you want to go on a like a beautiful vacation and just have fun, mm -hmm. go visit, go support this local economy, support these Bitcoin projects um, and, you know, get in touch. Um, but Hassan, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, you know, best to you and your family. Keep enjoying your your vacation thank down there. You. I know you're doing some work <laughs> too, but enjoy your time down there, man. And, and thank you so much for jumping on today. Thank you very much, Trey. I really, really appreciate it.